Hello everyone, welcome to the show. This is Guy Windsor, also known as The Sword Guy, and I'm here today with Jen Landles, who, amongst other things, is the editor of Pulp Literature, author of the novel Elenia's Song. She runs Academy Cavallo, which is a basically a mounted combat school outside Vancouver, and if you can think of anything cooler than that, I do not know what it is. So without further ado, hello Jen, and welcome to the show. Hi, Guy. I'm really happy to be here. So, Jen, um, you're in Vancouver at the moment, yes? Uh, just outside in Langley, BC. Okay. And not holed up in a tiny little apartment, I imagine. No, I am fortunate enough to live on a 12-acre piece of land with my own stable. Okay. Tell us a bit about that. Uh, well, I moved here a couple of years ago. We finally mm -hmm. uh, bit the bullet, sold our house uh, in the suburbs, and bought the Dream Ranch. Um, and uh, yeah, I run the Academy Duellos Mounted Combat Program out of here, um, and my own school, which is really... Uh, I've just launched Academy Cavallo as an offshoot, and it's going to be more of an online school but the center itself is a place where people can come and train mounted combat once all this COVID nonsense is over, of course. Sure. Okay. Well, I've actually had the pleasure of being sitting on a horse while you whacked me over the head with a sword. So I have some idea what's involved, but I'm guessing that my average listener doesn't. So um, how would you describe what you actually do? Well, we teach uh, people everything they need to know to get up on a sword uh, get up on a horse and swing a sword uh, so we we teach horsemanship mm -hmm. we teach riding um, and we teach the mounted combat sword skills so we start uh, by teaching them horsemanship how to handle how to groom because we feel it's important that you know how to look after your horse and not just get up on a horse that's already tacked up for you mm -hmm. uh, we teach riding uh, and we teach uh, swordplay from the ground first, so we make sure that people uh, know what they're doing with a sword before we let them on our horses, mm -hmm. uh, and then we bring that all together, uh, and we run uh, bi-weekly mounted combat classes uh, for our more advanced students. Okay. Um, I seem to recall when I was over there a few years ago, we actually did some archery on horseback as well. Are, yeah, are we do about... Yeah, I... Um, we don't do that as a regular part of the program. I do that as uh, workshops, usually about three a year. Um, although, again, n nothing's happening this year. Uh, but yeah, usually sure. about three times a year, I get uh, Robert Borsos, who's um, a Hungarian archer, and he comes in and, uh, and runs full-day workshops. Oh, wow. I imagine you have to be quite a good rider before you get to join that sort of workshop. Well, we actually have an option. So we can put beginners on horses. We just lead the horses. So our beginner mm -hmm. horseback archery workshop, you come out, uh, you learn how to shoot because the mm -hmm. Hungarian style is a little bit different from ground archery. Sure. Uh, once you've done that for about an hour and a half, um, you know, we give you a quick primer on horse safety and we have a handler for every horse. So we are just leading the horses so that you have to worry about nothing except your bow and the target. Um, wow. So people can get, even if they've had no horse experience, can get the experience of 
shooting from horseback. Which is somewhat more addictive than crack cocaine. Slightly, yeah. <laughs> and then, of course, if you are a good rider, um, we mm -hmm. can let you off the lead line. You can you can go on your own at a walk. You can trot, um, and you can work up to going at a canter, which is the best. <laughs> I can imagine. Uh, I've I've not shot at a canter, but I've certainly ridden at a canter, and it's a damn sight more stable than people might imagine. Um, okay, my experience of being whacked over the head with a sword by you while sitting on a horse was that because you are so much better rider than I am, your horse would basically be wherever you wanted it to be so you could get behind me and slice me up like a salami. So would you generally agree that in mounted combat it's the horsemanship that is the most important single factor? It is. Uh, the the okay. ability to ride well and to have a good horse is mm -hmm. going to give you such a huge advantage over anybody else. Uh, that said, we do structure our tournaments sort of at the green spur level, which is our lowest level. Mm -hmm. We structure them to give um, less experienced riders a more even playing field. So we mm -hmm. put it in a small ring. So it's like a 15 by 15 meter square. Right. Um, and that limits how much cantering um, and how right. much you know running around the more experienced riders can do. Okay. So in a confined space, the riding skill is less important? Um, it's not that the riding skill is less important. It's that you can't use all the tools that you would have on a large field, like, oh, okay. you know, like speed and, and the ability mm. to circle wide and, and come in close. Right. So your, you know, how much experience would somebody have before they're let loose on this, um, their first sort of, should we say, competitive fencing on a horse? So they need to have, they need to have passed their their green spur level, and mm -hmm. so that is um, horsemanship level one, which is pretty basic. Anybody mm -hmm. with about six classes can probably master that. Right. Riding level one, um, and it really depends because people come with such different riding abilities sure. uh, to the program. But if you're starting at zero, it would probably take about twelve weeks for you of wow. regular riding classes for you to be able to pass level one riding. And that's, um, you know, so that you can walk and trot. Mm -hmm. You don't need to be able to canter, um, but you do need to be able to steer your horse with one hand. Right. And that would, that gets you the ability to, so say, enter our beginner level competitions um, with spearing rings and um, hitting the quintain, mm -hmm. doing mounted games, and uh, sort of the limited small ring sparring. Wow. I mean, I, I have a lot of swordsmanship students who'd be like, Guy, you don't let us fence with steel swords after only 12 weeks. What's going on? <laughs> I think there's going to be an exodus from Finland to Vancouver if we keep up this conversation <laughs> much longer. Um, well, we don't let them fence with steel swords on our horses. So oh, no, no, of course go. not. Well, that, that's, 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 a, that's, a, that's a different matter altogether. Um, so what sort of equipment are you using? So um, for the sake of the horses, we use nylon mm -hmm. trainers. Um, sure. We have some wood ones as well, mm -hmm. uh, just because they didn't ask for this. So right. not fair to put, put somebody on their back with steel in their hands. Yeah. Um, uh, we use fairly minimal um, protection. We 
we use hockey helmets uh, with right. a solid visor mm-hmm. and uh, elbows and uh, one hand protection. You just I usually use a padded glove in my sword hand and a regular leather glove on my rain hand. Mm-hmm. Um, just for the sensitivity there, um, and gorget, of course, um, mm-hmm. and and whatever. Some people wear um, a padded gambeson. Uh, some people wear lacrosse, um, lacrosse padding. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not, you know, it's not heavy duty long sword, full speed sure. sparring gear. Right. And do you do anything with steel on horses? Um, not. Um, not at the sparring level we have we you know we've set out in the rules if somebody is at the silver spur level and they have their own horse and mm-hmm. their own equipment and two people want to spar with steel then yeah they're allowed to do that but we okay. don't allow that on our horses yeah fair enough mm-hmm. it's i guess it's a sort of um you know if you if you want to turn donuts you better do it in your own car exactly Right. Okay. And what are your historical um, sources or interests regarding the mounted combat stuff? Uh, well, it's primarily Fiore based, mm-hmm. um, just because Fiore has such a beautifully laid out system going from, you know, unarmed all the way up through uh, harness fighting and mounted combat yep. that it, it just all fits beautifully together. It really um, does. And uh, so that's that's our primary source. And then we've taken a little bit from uh, uh, Paulus Cal, um, mm-hmm. um, a little bit of, from the various Lichtenauer things, just where there mm-hmm. seems to be some gaps. Um, uh, a little bit of uh, Paulus Hector Meyer. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. This, and, and a bit of... Um, um, Every once in a while, I look at some of the later stuff, like the the saber training, like the Brit and the British cavalry yep. training, things like that. Okay. Um, have you done any jousting? No. Okay. Yeah, that's that seems like a whole separate sort of arena. It is, and it it doesn't it doesn't actually interest me that much. Okay. I mean, I like you know we do do spear, so we mm-hmm. do. You know, through the rotation in our classes, we do have Spear Month, uh, right. and so you know you you learn the principles of jousting, and we do mm-hmm. we do joust against the Quintain, right. um, but it's just it's just not as to me it's not as interesting having two horses on either side of a list run at each other, um, right? Uh, as it is to you know actually spar in a melee where you're moving around and and um, you have sort of a longer engagement. Sure. Yeah, and, um, it makes perfect sense to me. I mean, I, it's one of those things where it's, it's always struck me as too expensive and too dangerous to <laughs> for me to really want to get into it. And again, it's just that like one shot. You kind of charge at each other and then it's done. And you, yeah. You, there's not a lot of, you know, parry, riposte, and then throw the guy over. Um, yeah. Okay. So... Are your horses? How, how do you train the horses to put up with this sort of shenanigans? Um, horses are surprisingly chill about mounted combat. I found. <laughs> okay. Uh, I've only found a couple of horses. I've been doing this for over ten years now. Mm-hmm. I've only found a couple of horses that really don't like it. 
Um, Most horses adapt very quickly. What we do is we we get the sword out, we sack them out with the sword, uh, which just means running the sword past their face, running it Mm -hmm. uh, along their back. And we do that every time we get on. So even my horse that's just falls asleep when I start doing mounted combat. She's so bored with it that okay. I still I still run the sword past her past her eyes. I still scratch her between the ears with it. I still yeah. uh, you know run it all around just because it's a good habit for me to have. So that sure. every time I get on a horse with a sword, I do this, yeah. and it just keeps reminding them that the sword is nothing for them to be afraid of. Right. The hardest thing with mounted combat is actually the horses interacting with each other. Okay. So they're not afraid of the swords, but a lot of horses take it into their heads to do the fighting themselves. Really? Yes. Okay, that could be awkward. <laughs> um, so you will, you have to kind of get them used to standing shoulder mm-hmm. to shoulder without either sniffing each other and then causing the other one to squeal or without biting each other or trying to kick each other and then you have to get them used to uh, coming together face to face because horses in a herd almost never come face to face at each other sure they always like going in the same direction yeah Um, so that takes a little bit of training uh, and conditioning so I imagine what you're doing then is quite different from training a medieval war horse who would be trained to bite and kick and that sort of thing or is that a myth i can't find much evidence that they were trained specifically to bite um i imagine that if you had a horse that did you didn't train that out of him mm-hmm. um but i can't i haven't found anything that actually talks about tra- there's actually not a lot of documents out there about training war horses xenophon okay. um 300 bc is mm-hmm. one <laughs> um and <Right>. then <laughs> but there's nothing in there about about training sort of the horse to attack other horses hmm. and you know generally it's it's kind of a nuisance so that even if you were facing an enemy you don't want your horse's head snaking over to attack the other horse because that puts your horse in danger right okay Uh, so you you think it's likely that they would have been trained simply to obey and let the person sitting on them do all the fighting yeah Ah, interesting okay because of course it's, it's a classic trope in you know books and movies and what have you that you know a war horse you know will get up on its hind legs and and basically box other horses and kick people and that sort of thing. Yeah, and it would actually be incredibly dangerous for a war horse to be rearing in the middle of combat. Sure. um, Because that exposes that belly. Right, which is not armoured. Which is not armoured, yeah. And all of a sudden, anybody who's on the ground has a clear target if if they've got a long stick. (laughs) Yeah, sure. Okay. Um, so you said you also do some of the sort of 18th, 19th century stuff. Yeah, every once in a while, um, mm-hmm. you know, throw some saber drills in there, um, uh, you know, just to mix things up and, and right. it, it just, um, cause I'm not, you know, our amount of combat's not period specific. I mean, we tend to stick around the medieval stuff, but, mm-hmm. um, we, we have students that are interested in the, in later stuff as well. Okay. Uh, are there any later sources on training the horses? 
most of the sources on training um, they are sort of around the 17th century and up mm-hmm. are training for hudekol, which is not technically war horse, it was demonstration. So right, when you think okay. about the Spanish riding school and sure. the roots of that came from the 17th century um, horsemen like uh, uh, Pluvenel and um, and a little bit later uh, de Garnier, mm-hmm. uh, Duke of Newcastle. Um, uh, so the, you know, the Duke of Newcastle is quite interesting because aside from having very amusing rapier plays in his books, um, mm-hmm. he he was he's a very re- well respected horseman and is um, is considered one of the fathers of modern dressage. Okay. Uh, so those those are sort of the and that's where um, and it was that time period where lateral movements started being trained. So dressage movements like shoulder in, shoulder mm-hmm. four, around there, things like that. Uh, and we're not sure if those movements were specifically trained before that. There's no reference to them. It's almost like, okay. you know, everybody before is like, yeah, you just know how to ride a horse and you know how to know, make your horse do what you want it to do. And that's that. And nobody mentions it. Right. Um, you know, Don Duarte talks a lot about the characteristics of a rider and how mm-hmm. you should, you know, take care of your tack. But there's not a lot in there about training horses. Uh, okay. So, yeah, it's and then you know, as you, there are there are texts that talk about cavalry horses, sort of in later centuries. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like in those cases, you train the soldiers and you train the horses separately, and then you brought them together and you put the soldiers on the horses and. Uh, yeah. Oh wow! Yeah. <laughs> that seems a bit hit and miss. Well, I mean, the the I guess when you're talking about the numbers you're looking mm-hmm. at for oh, sure. sort of 18th century and up cavalry, you you you're training these soldiers and you you give them kind of. You know, I, I don't know how how long it was. Probably a couple of months training mm-hmm. um, on the horses that were already basically trained, but they didn't do fancy sure. moves. You know, they right. they could walk, trot, canter, charge, jump. Okay. So, what would count as a fancy move? Well, that would be the the dressage moves, like the the shoulder in and the canter pirouette and things like that. Okay. Um, Okay, so um, I know that you're you're, sort of, you're most known for your horse stuff, um, but I do hear whispers that you're actually pretty good with a rapier. Is this true? Uh, relatively good. <laughs> um, so I, I do have I, I am um, a free scholar um, at Academy Duello with the rapier, um, okay. and I do teach rapier. Okay, um, and I what sort of rapier? I, um, mainly uh, Capoferro. Uh, mm-hmm. I do a bit of Fabris as well. Okay. Um, it's so Italian style. Right. Um, and uh, I got into that um, because I was researching for a novel. Right. And I googled 17th century rapier mm-hmm. and up popped Academy Duello and it was like, oh, there's a school that teaches you how to do this, and it's right here in Vancouver. <laughs> how convenient well is that? <laughs> um, okay. And, and you know, a dozen years later, um, 
I finally got around to starting to write that novel. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Is that what became Elena's song? No, Elena's song was uh, was earlier. I mean, I started that earlier. I, um, okay. The third book is, I'm still working on the third book. But um, no, the 17th century one is a um, historical fiction called uh, The Shepherdess, okay. which is about a shepherdess turned spy in 17th century France. Sounds good. Is it it's out yet? Kind of, it, bits of it are out in pulp literature. So okay. there was an excerpt published in uh, issue 24 and an excerpt in issue 26. Okay. So are we, are we to expect it anytime soon? I've got to finish. I've got to finish Elena's song and get that okay. out. I mean, it's finished, but it needs still needs editing and and publishing. So it's it right. it should be out in the the last book of the of that trilogy. Uh, should be out the end of twenty twenty one. Okay. Um and uh, yeah, I don't know what I'm doing with uh, the shepherdess yet. Uh, it's kind of right now, and it's in a series of novellas and. Uh, whether I try and sell that to a traditional publisher or um, go another route with it, I don't know. Okay, interesting. Um, yeah, it, it's actually a lot of people have not quite finished novels on their hard drives. So it's nice to hear that a book that's been, what, a decade in the making might actually see the light of day? Yeah. Yeah, and it was only a decade in the ma making because I got distracted doing other things. Sure. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So, what are your thoughts on protective equipment? I mean, everybody seems to have pretty strong opinions about protective equipment, um, what they should be wearing, the current state of the market, that sort of thing. So, what are you, what are your views on the available protective equipment for rapier or for um, horse? horseback combat or any other discipline that you do? Well, I am still waiting for somebody to develop a mm -hmm. riding helmet uh, fencing mask combination. So something that provides the fall protection of a riding helmet mm -hmm. uh, with the sword protection of a fencing mask. Um, okay. I don't think anybody has come up with that yet, but I'm, I'm still hoping. I imagine uh, it's not a for, huge market. No. No. That's that. Okay. Um, and uh, so for that's why we end up using hockey helmets because they right. they kind of adequately do both, but they're not they're not ideal. Okay. Yeah, the plexiglass so what, tends to steam up. Right. Okay. So you have hockey helmets with a plexiglass face. Yeah. Um, which I guess is fine if you're using nylon swords, but you wouldn't want to use that with steel. Exactly. Okay. And. What's the, I mean, what is the difference in protective requirements when it comes to falling? What does a hockey helmet not do? A hockey helmet is adequate protection for falling. Okay. It's, it, that's why we use that um, right. instead of fencing masks. A lot of people do mounted combat with fencing masks, and I've done that too. I just, mm -hmm. um, it really does not protect your head if you fall off your horse. No, sure. Your head is 10 feet up in the air. Um, yeah. It's a long way down. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and, Did you get a lot it, of lot of falls in your mounted combat classes? No, no, almost none. Um, okay. I, there was one time I I, I remember um, 
uh, my partner Chris fell off the horse because he was he was trying to get me and he was just kept reaching and reaching and reaching out of the saddle <laughs> with his massively long arms and I just yeah. kept moving away and he just reached too far. And <laughs> but, yeah. um, th- I think that's the only time I can think of somebody actually falling off during wow. mounted combat. During the mounted games, we do have people mm-hmm. fall off because those ones, again, you're reaching out of the saddle quite a bit. Yeah. Like some of them you're reaching quite low. Um, mm-hmm. And sometimes you just get, uh, when you're doing games at a gallop, you get rambunctious ponies and, you yeah. know, things happen. What sort but, of games are you talking about? Uh, well, they're like Prince Philip games. Um, uh, so anybody who's been in Pony are. Club. Well, uh, if you uh, anybody who's been in Pony Club will know Prince Philip games. They're like, okay. uh, they're Gymkhana games. Um, okay. Most people probably haven't been in Pony Club. Yeah. So they're relay games on horseback. Okay. So you've got a team of, say, four riders. Right. Um, and various obstacles. So some of them are are spearing rings. So you've got a sword. Mm-hmm. First rider gallops down, spears one ring, picks it up, brings it back for the second rider, so on and so forth. It's a timed game. Okay. Uh, other ones involve... Um, uh, we have ones where you spear balloons. So you've got a stick with a nail on the end and okay. balloons taped to a two by four. And right. you gallop down, you spear the balloon, you ride around the cone at the end, you come back. So these are all speed games. They're all right. whoever can get it, get through it fastest and while doing it correctly. Right. Uh, and they're all based on, so um, Prince Philip, your, um, the... Yeah current uh, queen the current queen's consort yeah. uh in, came up with these games based on military games so he came up there okay. were cavalry games right yeah the one with the balloons reminds me a bit of tent pegging it is like tent pegging right and we do have one that's called stick pegging uh which is uh, it's just a little s- small section of two by four um stuck in the ground you just you hit it with your spear and uh, you know same sort of idea so yeah so with a sharp spear you stab the stick and pull it out of the ground yeah. right that's exactly yeah. tent pegging as it was as yeah. it was done in like 19th century British regiments cool okay um, yeah I remember speaking of falling off when I was learning to ride in Helsinki in the uh, Helsinki um, stable club there was a thing where if you fell off everyone who was in the club um, were riding early in the morning there'd be like coffee in the in the stables early in the morning and if you fell off the next time you came you had to bring a cake to have with the coffee <laughs> so people didn't fall off very much unless you really wanted cake <laughs> <laughs> well I mean there's nothing stopping you buying a cake without falling off but you know if you That's fell true. off you, you, you had to bring a cake in for the coffee okay so um, so we had a look at the head protection and how much you would like to have a head protection that was adapted for um, both riding falls and for sword training. What else, where else is the equipment particularly good or bad? Uh, Well, I don't uh, do full speed long sword sparring because I, I don't trust the equipment enough to protect me for that so I feel that um, I would love to find gloves that fit small hands better you are not (laughs) the first person on this podcast to say that Um, and 
yeah, so it it's mainly the glove issue that keeps me from doing uh, full speed longsword. Uh, plus, I have not invested um, in the protective gear, which a lot of times I do feel is is very hard to fit. Um, it, it, a lot of it's not made for women. It's getting better. Yeah, I mean, none none of the standard sizes fit particularly small hands. Um, I mean, I have I have small hands. Um, and yes, I I ended up just getting a pair of steel gauntlets tailor made. It was just easier. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that way they actually fit. Um, but that's obviously you know, this is my job, so I can invest in that sort of stuff. Um, so, okay. Um, and part gloves, of, part of the reason I love doing yeah. uh, part of the reason I love doing rapier is because you can do it with so little protective equipment. Okay. You know, I I. I fence rapier with a gorget uh, mask and gloves. Um, I don't. I don't use a chest protector. Okay. Uh, I'd ad- I'd advise women who have not yet had children to use a chest protector. <laughs> okay. Uh, what What is the um, having children? Why is that? Well, uh, your breasts change post lactation. Uh, right. The breast tissue becomes a lot less dense. Um, uh, you know, before you've had children, you don't want to risk damaging your breasts because they're pretty important for feeding babies. Right. Um, and uh, they're also much they're also much more sensitive um, pre-pregnancy, pre-lactation. Okay. Uh, so after you've had a, after you've had a baby, they their breast breast tissue is a lot less dense, mm-hmm. uh, so it hurts less. Um, ah, okay. It still hurts. It still hurts sure. if you get it. You know, right in the center, but. Um, it's not as painful. Um, and then, you know, some women find, too, that just depending on the time of the month, you, sometimes you'll need a chest protector and sometimes you don't because the sensitivity uh, okay. changes throughout there. Okay. Um, but I, I feel like it's a I feel like it's a personal choice. I, I, mm-hmm. I wouldn't want to be part of a club that mandated it. Um, and, right. You know, uh, but... Uh, yeah, I definitely definitely advise uh, women who haven't yet had children, um, and if they're planning to, uh, to wear chest protection just you know just to right. keep just to protect sure. those. <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, so you're not worried about sort of broken ribs or points sliding up into the armpit or anything like that. Um, no, I mean it, this you know at our school. We train to not hit hard, so we're we're hitting. Okay. Um, and I've I, you know, I've had bruises, but that's um, that's the the main mm-hmm. thing. Uh, you know, you you keeping track of your equipment, making sure that it that it flexes well. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I was fencing somebody with a stiffer sword, um, you know, a, than a rapier, then I okay. you know definitely would wear chest protection for that. So, what sort of blades are you using? Um, well, my rapier is is actually a Hanway, which I love. It's okay. it's not the training, you know. It's one of the the better Hanway ones, and it's uh, mm-hmm. it's a lovely blade. It's it's nice and light and flexible. Um, and a lot of a lot of the the school swords are also Hanways, but they're the clunkier ones. Um, right. Okay, and that that's reasonably so rigid enough, but it flexes on contact and. Yeah. Okay, cool. All right. Um, what has been your proudest moment so far in your historical martial arts career? 
Don't worry, I know, um, I know, I know. You are the only person to have ever guest posted on my blog. That has to be it. What else uh, definitely. could be with that? That's there we it. Go. <laughs> <laughs> we could so leave apart it at that. that apart from apart that. Apart from, from that. that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, well, last uh, last fall we did um, Carousella, which is our the annual mounted combat event. Right. Uh, we, you know, where we sort of have, it's our tournament. We do a three-day symposium. We do workshops, mm-hmm. things like that. Last year was the biggest one ever, and we had um, an entire contingent of uh, Sikh martial artists join us. Oh, wow. So it was this amazing multicultural event. I, I'd mm-hmm. actually taught them throughout the summer, and then they joined us. Um, so... It was it was really wonderful to see my Sikh students in their full regalia mm-hmm. um, out there doing mounted combat with you know my academy duello students um, and this merging of cultures. Uh, so I was pretty proud of that. Um, and then imagine. actually at uh, at VIS this year, uh, Vancouver mm-hmm. International Swordplay Symposium. They also came to VIS and taught a, an intensive track, um, and we had, uh, it was a very multicultural event, because we also had okay. uh, uh, Manashir Khorasani uh, yeah, doing Manishir. Persian, and uh, we had um, we had uh, Tai Chi and, and uh, oh, wow. Agua and all sorts of stuff happening. So that was, I, I really enjoyed you know, both those events and... and uh, helping bring those all these different martial arts cultures together sure so what what were the sikhs teaching uh gatka gatka okay yeah yeah um lots of sword and buckler lots of everything lots they of have everything. so okay. many weapons <laughs> it, it was, they were doing mostly sword and buckler right but they okay. uh the way they explained it was their people have been have been conquered and attacked and and mm-hmm. they've had to defend themselves so many times that they just pick up weapons from whoever comes and attacks them so they have they have this amazing arsenal of different mm-hmm. weapons they use cool okay maybe i should find a, a, a sikh martial arts practitioner to come on the show and explain all about it that'd be a very good idea um okay so i have a couple of standard questions that i tend to finish up with and one is what is the best idea you've never acted on? That is tough because I tend to act on all my ideas. <laughs> it's funny. Most people say, I don't have any ideas, or I only have like two or three, so I, I act on them. Others are like, oh, I get so many ideas, and I can't, yeah. So you're, you're, on, you're on that side of the thing. Okay, you're biased towards action. That makes sense. Okay, so there must be so, something. So uh, there uh, the one thing that I have yet to act on and okay. will probably act on is actually this, is, is podcasting. Okay. Um, and um, that's, it's something I wanted to get going early on with pop literature mm-hmm. and just sort of never, never had the time. Um, we got, we've, we've sort of got closer with, our, with the pandemic. We started doing these Friday Live YouTube readings. Oh, okay. Um, but it's not. It, but it's a. It's a video thing, not a. Not a podcast per se. All right. And what are you um, reading? 
I'm ju- we're just inviting three authors on uh, mm-hmm. every week, and they just read an excerpt from their stories. Okay, so it's the pop literature side of things, not not the sword yeah. side of things. Okay, yeah. cool. Where do people find that in case they're interested? Uh, pulpliterature.com is our website, okay. and then on YouTube you can um, yeah you can look up pulp literature on YouTube as well. Okay. All right, so so we can expect a podcast from you in the near future. What will it be about? I'm not sure. It might just be it might just be a continuation of the readings. Like we might just okay. stop doing it on video and just go to plain podcast. Um, okay, that might make sense. And uh, you know, I'm also I'm also wanting to do audiobooks. And then actually, the other one, the other idea that I've had sitting around for ages is to write a mount of combat book. Oh yes, please do. Um, <laughs> So that one, you know, that one, I've got most of the material there, but I just have sure. not acted on it, really. Yeah, and you also have an awful lot of experience in teaching people who don't, who aren't already accomplished riders and, or, you know, already doing, you know, medieval martial arts to a high level, things like that. You've taught an awful lot of people to be able to get on a horse and whack their friends with swords. And that's yeah. actually that's a really unusual skill set. Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty odd combination of skills. Yeah. <laughs> so so yes, I, I think I think a book would be a splendid idea. So I would I would actually take that over the podcast, truthfully. Oh, well, I think uh, you know I think that is something I would uh, I should do more than the podcast. That doesn't mean okay. that's going to happen first. But. <laughs> no, fair enough. <laughs> um, uh, because the podcast I can have other people do. <laughs> True, true. Um, yeah, actually, it's a good sort of rule of thumb. I think it comes from a guy called Cal Newport, where when you're thinking about what you should do if you're like a self-employed person or if you're, you know, if you're working on in some sort of field where you have to make like specific contributions, um, you know, so think of an averagely intelligent, I don't know, college graduate or whatever. How long would it train you? to teach them to do the thing that you need to do. And if it's something, oh, I could teach somebody to do this in an hour, or I could teach them to do it in a week, it's probably less important that you do it than if it would take you five years to train them up. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I, think, I think by that metric, the book would be the way to go. Yeah. But well, I'm working, call, I'm working on... I'm working on my, you know, my online mounted combat school. So mm-hmm. that should be up and running soon. And oh, cool. once that's up and running, it will actually make the book easier to get out there just oh, sure. because I and, will and have organized that. And where will people be able to find your online mounted combat school? Uh, just Google Academy Cavallo. But it's okay. uh, it's... The website's not up yet, but it will be. Okay. Maybe by the maybe by the time this podcast comes out. When when do you expect the website to be up? Um, I'm hoping in the next month or so. Okay. Well then, yes. Given given our production schedule, I imagine that it will be up by then. And do you have a URL already? No. Okay. I would recommend getting academycavallo.com. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> it. it it will probably be, I just haven't registered, it will probably be academycavallo.ca. But, uh, .ca, okay. Yeah, yeah, but, 
sorry, right. if I can't get .com. Okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, is there an Academy Cavallo elsewhere in the world? There no. may be in Italy, I suppose. There's, no, I've, I've Googled it. Okay. All right. Yeah. Okay. Um, so my last question uh, is, somebody gives you a million pounds, which is about two million Canadian dollars, to spend improving historical martial arts in whatever way you see fit. How would you spend that money? Well, even even two million dollars doesn't go far to you know building facilities or anything like that. At least not in this sure. part of the world. Okay. So I would spend that on uh, I would spend that on travel funds. Okay. You know, to create you know I don't know travel bursaries or something like mm -hmm. that to bring more people together again once you know travel becomes a normal thing again. Sure. Um, <laughs> okay, because so I think I think we learn the most when we um, when we get together and in you know and exchange ideas in person. Sure. Okay, so you would set up a fund where people wanting to go to historical martial arts events could apply and get their expenses covered. Yeah. Okay. That's that's mm -hmm. actually um, there have been a, a couple of similar replies that's actually quite a popular one and I think somebody should do it because mm. I think it would make a great deal of difference I mean yeah. particularly getting people from places where it's expensive to travel to or from but they have a very low um, normal cost of living so low wages and what have you so like I don't know for somebody to travel from say Brazil or Chile to Canada for an event is prohibitively expensive because it's maybe I don't know four month salary for the plane ticket yeah Whereas for us, it's maybe three weeks' salary for the same ticket. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Good idea. Okay. Um, is there anything you'd like to add? Anything you any anything you would like my listeners to go and do? Any websites you want them to visit or books you want them to buy? Anything like that? Feel free. Well, there is a little series of um, historical martial arts. Um, lectures uh, online training coming up and mm -hmm. it's uh, the the group we've put together to do it um, uh, we're calling University of the Sword at the moment University and of the Sword, okay and um, it's uh, sort of a, a survey through history so we have mm -hmm. Uh, Sean Hayes from mm -hmm. Northwest Fencing Academy teaching 133 Sword and Buckler. Okay. Uh, we have Greg Mail from Chicago Swordblade Guild doing mm -hmm. Fiore. Uh, we have Scott Farrell um, of Chivalry Today doing mm -hmm. Armored. Yep. Uh, I'm doing Mounted Combat, and uh, Devin Borman from Academy Duello is doing Rapier. Oh, cool! Sounds like fun. So. Uh, where can people find that? Uh, that will be uh, released online soon. Uh, the Facebook page is University of the Sword. Um, okay. It is only just up. There's not um, not a lot there now. But the starting date for the series is July 11th. Okay. And it'll go run for five weeks, Saturdays at 10 o'clock Pacific time. So is, is it just live or will you be recording it? It is live, um, and there will be a, a registration process, so we mm -hmm. don't get Zoom bombed. Um, right. 
and uh, it I imagine they will be recorded I'm not entirely sure about where or when that'll be able to be found so watching live is going to be the best option um, okay and there will be there will be uh, you know bonuses available for, for you people who watch through to the end of the series there'll be you know discounts on various online offerings from these different schools oh cool okay um, so when you have a URL or what have you uh, just send it over and I'll pop it in the show notes uh, awesome. I w I'm not exactly sure when this is going to go live so it could be that it hasn't just hasn't quite started yet so people can jump in at the beginning or it may be that you've been running for a week or two and they can jump in a little later but certainly I'm sure that'll be very interesting for anyone who is sufficiently into swords to be listening to this podcast marvelous yeah and it's it's designed for both for you know people who know very little about swords mm -hmm. or, or have don't know much about them to people who you know know a lot but would like hey i'd like to take a class with sean hayes or you know okay. something like sure. that and who wouldn't like to take, take who wouldn't like well, to take exactly. a class with sean hayes <laughs> i've had it i had him over to finland at least a couple of times to teach seminars in my south so yeah, you're in good hands. Wonderful. Well, thank you very much for talking to me this evening, Jen. Um, it's been a, a pleasure, and I hope to speak to you again soon. Thanks so much, guys. Lovely to talk to you, as always. I hope you enjoyed my conversation today with Jennifer Landles. Remember to go along to guywindsor.net forward slash podcast for the episode show notes and to download your free copy of Sword Fighting for writers, game designers and martial artists. Tune in next week when I'll be talking to Roland Varchika about sword and buckler, swords, Viking swords and all sorts of other sword-related sword stuff. To make sure you don't miss that episode, subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. I'll see you next week.